Welcome to the African Tech Roundup. This is episode 10. Now, every Monday, we round up the week's most important technology, digital, and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasu. I'm a broadcaster and entrepreneur. And joining me on the show is my co-host, tech entrepreneur and executive editor of iAfrican.com, Defo Mojape. How's it, guy? I'm good, dude. Good episode nine last week with you and Lyndon Munetti. Absolutely, man. And uh, we go back uh, quite a while. And what we didn't say on the podcast or what I didn't share on the podcast is that Lyndon's actually married to a Kenyan and has actually lived in Kenya for 14 years. So he kind of knew what he was talking about. Ah, it was brilliant because that was lots of Kenyan stories last week. This week, I've been uh, rubbing shoulders with some of Africa's corporate elite. <laughs> you know, I'm not one to name drop much. But the reason I mention it is because I've uh, there's an interview that will be dropping uh, Wednesday this week. You interviewed Teto Nyati, CEO. O of MTN Group? Yeah, we're taking it right to the top. <laughs> Listen up on Wednesday, African Tech Conversations. We're really excited for you to hear that. And then, of course, Thursday, Oresti Patricios will be speaking at an iAfrican event. And I got the, the opportunity to interview him. His interview will be dropping the following week. There'll be more about him and that event in our sponsor feature. Now, if you're listening in for the first time, you might want to catch up on our past episodes by heading straight to africantechroundup.com. Our Twitter handle is at African Roundup. We'd love you to follow us and tell us what you think of the show and in our discussion segment you can look forward to us trying to figure out if the fact that two major vc interests in as many weeks have aggressively curbed their investments in startups on the continent is this something to be worried about we'll talk about it in some detail but first this week's african tech roundup is supported by starting up in africa a talk and fireside chat with oresti patricios of Onico Group, along with Mike Ronsky, whose company Fuseway was recently acquired by Onico Group. It's all happening courtesy of iAfrican.com on Thursday, the 25th of June at Ogilvy in Matha, Johannesburg from 6.30pm to 9pm. Come through and listen to Oresti speak about how he started Ornico Group and managed to grow and scale it across Africa. He'll also be sharing insights into brands, media, advertising, research on the continent. And so for more information uh, and to book your seat, head to www.iafrican.com forward slash events. Now remember, if you'd like your audio comments included in a future episode of the African Tech Roundup, drop us a line on Twitter using the Hashtag ATRU comment and our team will make contact with you as soon as. Right, on to the news we go. Oh shucks, it's official. South Africa and Uganda have both officially missed the International Telecommunication Union, ITU's deadline, switch from analog to digital terrestrial television. My goodness, what does this mean, Defo? Well, I wouldn't be too disappointed, although many people are complaining and going at taking the communications department on about this, because there's a whole list of countries, not just in Africa, that have missed their deadlines. But what this means is that we still have a few more months if not a year of uh, analog TV because what the migration meant was that every household would have to purchase a set-top box so similar to your decoders or you could use a decoder if multi-choice and the likes allowed uh, public TV and this allowed you to watch digital television 
Well, I mean, like you say, South Africa is not alone. Countries like Armenia, Bangladesh, Belize, lots of African countries on this list, though. Central African Republic, Egypt, Eritrea, Jamaica's on the list, Lebanon, Liberia, Libya, Moldova, Morocco. All these people not meeting these guidelines. I wonder what it means in terms of uh, sanctions from that body. Well, it doesn't mean much sanctions, but it, I think it's it's from more from a content point of view and from taking advantage of digital terrestrial television. So that's a disadvantage we'll suffer in the meantime. To our next story, which is arguably the biggest text news story of the week, which involves Mark Shuttleworth losing a busload of money. What happened here? Yeah, he went to the Constitutional Court regarding his exit levy case, which is, I think it's a levy, if you want to take money out of the country, you levy, I think it's something about 10% of those funds, which you have to pay to the South African Revenue Services. He was arguing against that case, he took it to the Constitutional Court, and he lost $250 million. The South African Reserve Bank basically argued that it should not repay Shuttleworth the money. An exit levy it charged him when he transferred his assets out of South Africa to the Isle of Man in 2009. He's been hanging on to this. Um, I remember, I think I remember a quote from a while ago, him saying it's not even about the money, it's money he could afford to lose, but I think he was fighting in principle. Big loss to make for the sake of principle. Well, look, this is approximately $25 million. In anyone's book, this is a lot of money. So, yeah, he might say it wasn't about the money, which is probably true. It's paving the way for everybody else who'd want to move uh, their assets and money overseas. But I think $25 million is a big hole to burn into your pocket. To Kenya now, where an ambitious cable car project is being pitched to solve Nairobi's traffic problem. It's interesting. This is quite a large problem to try and solve and a lot of money to go with it. This project is worth an estimated 600 million US dollars. It would be an investment plan that these parties are hoping would be operational in the next year or two. They're hoping this will mean an end to Nairobi's famously notorious traffic jams. This is a common pan-African problem. Big cities with uh, traffic congestions as a history of two things mainly. Colonizers didn't anticipate the natives developing and having cars so the roads weren't built to accommodate them. But also when uh, the natives, our governments took over from independence, there was a lot of mismanagement and not proper planning. So we have all these congestions in cities like Joburg, Lagos and Nairobi. What's novel though about this public-private partnership is that this particular plan does not require public funds. Trappos Africa, of course, the consultants on this partnership are basically saying all we need is government approval and so far City Hall uh, in Nairobi has basically given its approval. The, the plan is currently awaiting scrutiny by Treasury and Cabinet. Quite interesting that absolutely no money being required from government for this to take place. Wow, which makes me question how these guys going to make money, but we'll see. Probably done their numbers, which is why governments want to t- take a second look at this and probably think, hey, maybe we should have some of our country's money invested in this. <laughs> or take a cut of it through a levy or something. So here's to hoping that does go through. The other thing about this is that this is a typical of how business is done in Africa, especially not, not just business on, on the sort of scale that we just described in a huge sort of infrastructural development scale. One thinks of Uber, also from Kenya. I do not imagine for a second that they went through these type of processes to try and onboard government support to get the buy-in of government, obviously infrastructure being a different kettle of fish. But yeah, one wonders what sort of process a company like Uber followed in order to launch in Kenya and maybe not following the processes Africa is more accustomed to, to get a business off the ground might be the cause of some of the issues right now? Maybe, but I I like their style of activating in every city. They're very gung-ho and lean startup about it. They have one person who activates every city and gains momentum in each city. I suppose it remains to be seen whether the Kenyan vote 
in that regard will swing their way. Some interesting news out of South Africa now with uh, the country totally embracing the global 3D printing craze. Uh, a low-cost prosthetic hand has been designed in Cape Town and printed in the, in the rather sleepy town of Bloemfontein. No offense, Bloemfontein. But that's not exactly the town we think of when we think of cutting-edge innovation. Ah, oh, come on. I was born in Bloemfontein. Don't knock my hometown. Oops. Oops, my bad. Yeah, but this is quite a good innovation. Award-winning academic and mechanical engineer, Dr. George Vicatos, and his master's student at the University of Cape Town, Severin Tenem, I hope I pronounced it correctly, designed this hand and uh, sent it out for manufacturing. And apparently they're, you know, they're holding out for a patent that uh, application that they've, they've already filed. I, I think they sense that there's there's a lot of commercial value to their product. Apparently it comes in way cheaper than anything that's currently out there, but works just as well. I certainly hope they get that patent and put South Africa on the map. I hope they don't get the patent. I mean, again, I'm an open source kind of guy, so I hope they work with the government and other institutions, put the designs up openly for everybody to use, and the rest of the continent can also benefit. Well, you're bringing it debate we've had uh rehashing it we, we had a debate in case you're you know joining us for the first time uh you might have missed the debate we had over o open source software versus proprietary and i'm off, off the mind one if you have the ingenuity to create uh, a value and protect it i think it's only fair that you should be able to profit from it at the same time i feel that that's basically my gauge of whether uh, it deserves my vote or not not just because it's free or non-proprietary uh, true but i'd say again maybe we need a full time of some sort like something in public interest like health and 3d printed hands should be in some way open source well then we might just disincentivize people's inventions and they might just decide to i don't know pave roads instead well, i get you but yeah oh well, yeah so you know this this we can argue this thing up and down moving swiftly along <laughs> and finally spark is the second seed fund firm in as many weeks to make an unsettling announcement uh, spark was co-founded by jason joku and bastian gotter and they say that they're pulling the plug on four startups they invested in and that they're practically dead businesses so last week we get 88 miles per hour very flamboyant african seed fund announcing that they wouldn't be investing in african startups and they were specific about that African startups almost to imply that they might invest in other countries or regions or continents. We don't have confirmation to that effect. They've said the 36 startups they've invested in, that's it. Just seems strange to me that these announcements seem to come very close together. It's almost like Spark got a sense of courage to make this announcement from, from the previous week. Yeah, I think I think riding on the wave and feeling... Actually, Jason Joku announces in a blog post in response to the 88 MPH um, announcement. So I think he's just riding felt it probably is a little bit easier since somebody tested the water and he could just ride on the back of that and announce that they're pulling the plug probably they'd done it already maybe they were about to do it but timing is everything so he probably felt that this is the right time on the note of uh, venture capital funds or investors stopping investing or pausing to invest i don't think it's uncommon but it's very uncommon to announce it if you take big investment houses or big merchant banks, I'm certain that there are periods during the financial years where they exhaust all their investment funds and don't invest until the next financial year. But they don't publicly go out and announce that because that's the order of business. In this case, I get a feeling that it's not necessarily a break. It's probably they're stopping. This is the end. In the case of Spark, this week, in a heartbreaking move, they list four startups, bus.com.ng, insured.ng, giddymint.com.ng, and Christians, and call them failed businesses. This must be a horrible, horrible week for these startups. 
I thought that announcement was a bit harsh. I mean, this is coming from me. I've, I've worked with startups. I am a startup at the moment. And saying they failed businesses and in the same post going on to say, we're not necessarily saying they're dead and they won't go ahead. It's like slapping and then comforting them afterwards. It's a bit harsh to say they failed businesses. Probably should have just announced that, yeah, we've stopped four companies and not mentioned names. I don't know. I'm not an investor. I don't have that money. They have at least told us why. Um, and basically, they're not prepared to invest in these companies any longer. Each of these companies have failed to go past the 250,000 US dollar benchmark. Um, and they just had to let go. And I'm sure it's not an encouraging sign to anybody who's in a pre-revenue state right now thinking, hmm, maybe I was going to approach Spark. They're going to think twice now. <laughs> yeah, this brings us to a discussion topic of what's happening in the investment tech, in tech startup investment scene in Africa with these two announcing breaks or stops or pulling out of investing in startup and for me it's a it becomes a question of comparing this to silicon valley or other ecosystems beyond the money that uh, these funds are pumping into these companies what other value are they bringing are they do they have a methodology in place or process where they take these startups from point when they came in when they invested in them to giving a timeline saying in 18 months these are the targets every week every month this is a process that we go through or is it just a matter of we give you the money we meet with you occasionally we might introduce you to some people to make deals and that's it so i had the chance to catch up with two startup founders who are currently uh renting some space over at, uh, at josie hub and and then i basically asked them what they make of the of the news you know that's come out over the last two weeks what they feel their prospects are in terms of venture capital and, 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 and seeking it out. Both firms, of course, are, are pre-revenue, but um, I asked them to sort of give me give give us their take on what they'd be looking for in a venture capital firm uh, in terms of, of funding and other things, and also their take on on the mood given the announcements. Here we go. Uh, my name is Tawanda Makunike. I'm from BSOF, the data analytics company. Uh, we develop products to help gather data for business intelligence. We're currently developing eButler, a personal shopping website to help people do their groceries on mobile and on web. Cool. Hi, my name is Nzalo. I run a company called Oya, which is a mobile application that connects people with events in and around their location. It's currently available on iOS and it's our first one. Hearing the news, it was just a huge blow up for our startups, especially us being in pre-revenue where we look at starting to get investment from outside to help accelerate our business so it becomes a huge challenge if the big guys are saying no we're closing doors and we're not funding startups anymore yeah it's it's, it's very scary it kind of gives us a, a, a view that you know things are going to be tough where we're going but then um, we have to be strong you know I, I suppose uh, funding is going to be a challenge in any case going forward but it's quite scary because now our vision is to raise funds for expansion. I mean, venture capital is, is our source. So it's, it's quite scary when you, when you hear such things happening because these are the guys we, we look to funding the problem with most government institution is they're not sometimes tailored for tech stuff also becoming more harder and harder to find funding so but for me it's maybe continuing a road of looking at angel investors and see if i can pick up a couple of wealthy business people and show the viability and how the company is going to be profitable with the help of their investment our strategies going forward has been to um build up a consultancy division in our company where we fund uh, our project via doing client jobs but then um, it on, it can only help us to a certain extent when you want to get into a market where the, the retail sector is fast growing it's fast moving you need more 
more money to to get more resources so uh, vcs were only were what we're looking at um but with such news becomes uh, an option that's really less likely to to be like on top of the list doing consultancy within within the company and um going to angel investors for me mostly it's a uh, human capital because i believe money money is controlled by people so no matter how the amount of money they can give it to you if you don't know where you're going to start using it it becomes more challenging so for me besides money it's looking for industry aspect people who have walked this road people who have invested in companies before especially in the field that i am is um i think um experience in terms of building companies is really really important for us we do not we do not want to be just um a fly by type of, of of company we want to be around for, for the long term so i think vc what we what we would really appreciate is someone who's going to help us lay a solid foundation for a, for a company um someone who's going to help us with open certain doors that will probably not be available to us but um guidance in terms of building companies what we really are looking for and final question i want you to try if you can put yourselves in this in the shoes of some of these companies that were named uh this week as failed businesses tell me what you would do next if this announcement had been about you and your company for them is to just go back to the drawing board and see what went wrong or also try to understand if whatever they were trying to do was it solving a problem that their clients were willing to pay for or they were just solving something which it wasn't it, it didn't need it to be solved it's just a learning curve to them having worked with those people even if their business didn't kick off but i'm sure they've learned a lot so it's just using whatever they learned feedback they got sit down see if they can refine their product if they not then they continue the journey until they solve a real existing problem that people are willing to pay for that solution yeah um one one thing in common that all startups have i think our middle name is pivot if things go to the worst then pivot i think there's no need to to be discouraged it's, it's part of a like a startup's life cycle you know there are those downs but i think uh, going back to the to the drawing board like what Nzalo said is is the most um is the best way forward uh, rethink your strategy and uh having been in contact with such a, a, a big uh, vc um i think you've they've learned a lot that they can um utilize going forward i have a pretty unscientific view to all this i have a feeling that venture capitalism in the context of africa and investing in african startups has been a cut and a cut and paste situation where wealthy and successful individuals with spare cash just think because the african markets are so primitive all they need to do is basically just toss money into a market and and it'll work for them and i have a feeling that true venture capitalism involves the art and science of actually being able to cultivate and enrich the, and incubate and do all those things that money can't do just on its own. I feel that you need to have a program in place, have a methodology of some sort or a process. And it's more than just money. A lot of people have money and they can throw money, but a startup or a startup founder comes to an investor not just looking for money, but looking for that extra knowledge, that experience that show me the way around what should I be looking out for, etc. Yeah, and you think of programs like like Y Combinator of the US. And, I mean, they're just legendary at 
at, at basically bringing startup founders through a process that allows them to to basically prepare for success if it's going to happen, but also just face up to, to, to failure quite quickly as well, if if that's what was bound to happen as well. Yeah, and they talking of Y Combinator, they've recently filed in the US to raise a fund, a venture capital fund. So they're not just going to be an accelerator, they're also going to invest heavily and fund uh, startups as well, which talks to their methodology, which has been very successful. I do think this does come down to the fact that venture capitalism is much more a science than some wealthy individuals with a lot of money willing to toss it around seem to think. And I do think on some level these announcements are worrying in that regard because it gives me the sense that they're coming from a place that doesn't quite acknowledge that fact. I don't know how they operate each of them and I can't speak to that but yeah I agree with you I think they come from a place where the, all the blame is being placed on the startups and the startup founders saying you didn't reach this 250,000 uh, revenue benchmark you startups haven't made us money therefore you as startups are bad but the other side we're not hearing and the startups haven't spoken I don't think they're allowed to give them their contract is what have the funds done to help the startups to be fair to sort of be in the corner with with these VCs. Perhaps it's the problem is also in the mindset of what we've all come to expect as an ecosystem from what venture capital delivers in the sense that it might also be erroneous to assume that because your firm has successfully attracted investment, it will succeed. Well, that's, yeah, that's a bias and that's a, that's an assumption that probably most startup founders make. It's not as you still have to do the work. This is not uh, given that because you attracted funding, you're going to make money. You st- lots of companies have failed, having attracted millions of dollars of funding. So, yeah, it's still a science. And of course, the, the companies that were listed, uh, the, all four of them could very well carry on to do really great things and and just prove our point in that success isn't all about the money. Um, it's hard to see them doing that, though, given how enthusiasm often often sides with the people who are able to acquire the hype of being invested in and now being dumped. I don't know what that does for you, but hey, listen, we want to know what you think. If you're a, a startup founder, you probably have very strong opinions about this. Perhaps listening to this makes you reconsider your <laughs> reconsider your calling uh, in some way or another. We'd love to hear from you if that's the case. Um, perhaps in some regards it might strengthen your resolve. In many ways failure is probably not new to you if you're in the startup game to begin with and, and perhaps it just comes with the territory. I would also like to hear from you if you are a venture capitalist thinking to dabble and perhaps listening to this podcast has made you realize, hang on a minute, successfully investing in, in, in a tech startup requires a little more than just throwing money at it i don't know we'd really just like to hear your views as diverse as they come please feel free to drop us a comment our twitter handle is at african roundup feel free to use the hashtag atru and of course if you'd like to make a direct audio comment uh, for our next episode please tweet us using the hashtag atru comment and our team will be on you like white on rice in the meantime though remember that this week's african tech roundup is supported by starting up in africa a talk and fireside chat with Oresti Patricios and Mike Ronsky of Ornico Group. It's happening at Ogilvy and Matha Johannesburg, South Africa on Thursday, the 25th of June from 6.30pm to 9pm. For more information and to book your seat, head to www.iafrican.com forward slash events. And this event, of course, is proudly hosted by iafrican.com. Otherwise, that's it for now. Until next week, it's cheers from me, Andile Masugu. And me, Tefo Mohapi. Take it easy, everybody.